Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, excited to have with me Dr. Jared Pello and Dr. Robert Budman, who both have great experience here with ambient artificial intelligence with nuance. So thrilled to welcome them to the show. So Robert, perhaps you could lead us off. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, how you got there, and then we'll get into to what Jared's doing and we'll go from there. Sure. So I'm a CMIO with Nuance Healthcare. And I basically support what we call computer-assisted physician documentation. And I help a lot of clients be successful with the products that we supply them with. So I was a family physician in California, and I was a university professor at University of California, Irvine, and then I had a private practice in family medicine. I went on to become more involved with informatics and EHRs from around 1998. And I eventually became on the vendor side a physician executive with an EHR company just at the perfect time around 2007, because right after that with the ARA and High Tech Acts, I was just in place for meaningful use. And then I became, uh, for about the last eight or nine years, 10 years, uh, CMIO Medical Director of Informatics type for three large healthcare providers on the organization side. And for the last year, I've been back at Nuance doing what you discussed, which was a lot of this artificial intelligence, ambient clinical intelligence, and the other solutions that Nuance does. So that's me in a nutshell. Great. Uh, Jared, how about you? You're CMIO too, correct? That's right. My route is a little bit more atypical in that I didn't start in the hospital with EHRs. I really started with a startup. And so was emergency medicine trained at the University of Virginia. And in my first practice at Lynchburg General in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, started doing some hospital administration as medical director there. And really discouraged by the documentation tools that I had at the time. So decided to start a startup called iScribes, which was a uh, virtual scribe company with the belief that at some point we would collect enough data to start training computers to do what we were doing with virtual scribes and nuance was aligned with that vision and acquired iScribes about two and a half years ago and moved into the CMIO role for the ambient clinical intelligence initiative after that and then actually just a few weeks ago we finally made it generally available as our new product called Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX for short DAX so that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at. And yeah, super excited to talk about uh, this topic. It's my favorite. Thanks, because I really was looking forward to hymns and being able to see this product. I assume you guys were going to have it at your booth. I'm sure if you were rolling it out, that would have been a big announcement time. And I guess COVID-19 had other plans for us. So if you would, perhaps, uh, Jared, maybe you'll start with this. Tell us a little bit about ambient AI. What's so good about it? What should we be looking for? And what can we expect from this tool? 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's a big question, but I'll, <laughs> yep. I'll, try to, I'll try to tackle it. So Ambient AI is, it's funny, when we first started talking with the Nuance research team and explaining to them what we wanted to be able to do, they kept calling it uh, Harry Potter land. So they'd say, <laughs> oh, you want like Harry Potter land where this quill pen writes in the air for you and writes your note. And I was like, yeah, that's that's basically it. So really that's what we're pushing for is the ability for a doctor and a patient to have a normal conversation doctor patient interaction um, asking really for pretty minimal changes from the doctor and what i would say is really asking the doctor to go back to their training when they reiterated what the patient said summarized pretty well as an active listener were explicit on the assessment and the plan for the patient involved them in the decision making of their plan and if they do that then we have all the data needed to produce a high quality note clinical note and have it injected directly into the ahr with the added benefit of being able to pull out structured data and really what we believe is take the EHR to the level that everybody has always wanted it. There's been this kind of tension between structured data and narrative data and we believe that ACI is going to solve both of those problems, make everybody happy across the board, those who want uh, population healthcare data and those who want a really nice clinical note, the narrative that is easy to follow, easy to read in a summary and easy to treat your patient with. So that's what we've been building. And yes, I was so bummed that HIMSS was canceled. It was uh it was kind of my baby for the last six months to direct that team and get it ready. So hopefully you have a chance sometime. We have a virtual demo. And so hopefully we can get you uh, an invite sometime so you can see exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I'd love to love to do that. Help me understand that structured data piece. So if I'm talking to my patient that's a smoker and we're talking about smoking cessation, it would be able to populate the right fields in, we use Epic, so it would be able to populate that and record that in the right spot. Is that what I could expect? That's right. That's right. You would expect that. You would expect clean documentation of your physical exam, even down into structured points, your assessment and plan into really good structured points, the ability. So it, even Epic, if you look at Epic, it's built so you can do automated billing and coding if you have structured data in there. But n most of us don't use that because we're not going to use templates to document our patient care. We're going to use a narrative because it's so much easier for us to digest and we feel like it's so much more complete. And so really it's structured data that is behind the scenes as well as in front of the clinician. It's just helping those both to end up in the right spot at the right time. So Robert, you've been a CMIO for a long time. Talk about the pain points in terms of what providers have felt when trying just plain dictation versus this solution. Help differentiate it for me. So again, another big question. I'll try to answer it the best I can. You hear about the herding cats and everybody likes to do their notes their way. And I learned early on the importance of governance. So you could build a, a note that cleaved to an organizational paradigm. What that means is 
is this node in the structure and format that is acceptable to the organization? Is it a SOAP node? Is it an APSO node? Does it have lots of labs or not a lot of labs? So to get that governance in place first is very important. So that way you can have sort of a enforceable way of saying, this is the way we're going to do our documentation. Secondarily to that then is, believe it or not, change management. When I first studied change management, I was like, this is a little hokey. You just go out and you tell people and you do it. But if you take a pretty formal approach to change management, the communication and the benefits and how you're going to train it and support it, what the expected dot timeline is and so on, you can be a lot more successful because it doesn't come as a big surprise to people. And to couple that to be successful, like you said, is how do you get people to make the change, is you need a very robust training program. And you hear it all the time, oh, we did a big bang go live and nobody likes the EHR. Typically, it's because they're struggling with the EHR. They didn't get the right training or they didn't. We always hear, oh, I don't want to sit in a classroom for eight hours. But you know what? If you're going to take care of human beings, you have to. And you have to deliver the training that's meaningful. So if they're there for, say, four hours instead of eight hours, make sure it covers the workflows that they have to do. So if you take that sort of approach of governance, change management, and good training and support, you can be successful. And that's what it would take for anything, right? Sure. In terms of the conversation in an exam room, it, it can vary. The doctor could be talking to the patient about diabetes, and then they start talking about Aunt Sally's diabetes, and then they come back and talk about hypertension, arthritis, and the, the conversation, particularly in, let's say, a primary care office, it could be all over the map. So how does the tool, I'm not asking for proprietary information here, but how does the tool know, okay, we're, we're talking about diabetes and all that diabetes stuff is going to be in one paragraph, not spread throughout the note. I really want all my diabetes right in the beginning where I started with diabetes. Does it do that? Yes. So I'll, I'll answer it with a couple different things. So Rob mentioned the need for kind of having a standardized note. And I know that's a terrible term, so I don't like to use it. So what I'm going to call it is a specific, a specialty specific note. So if you think of every doctor having their very own note style, it's difficult for machine learning to work on that problem. But if you say, I'm going to have every cardiologist have a specific note style, and there will be things in there and things not in there, depending on the patient and the clinical care and all those other pieces. So that's how you whittle it down somewhat, is coming up with specialty-specific standard notes. And then from there, it's a matter of data volume. And the amazing thing about Nuance, and the reason that I was so excited to join Nuance, is the amount of data that we have. Hundreds of millions of dictations, the amount of data we have from the virtual scribing team in the millions of uh, full patient-doctor encounters. And so, the machine learning literally is software writing itself based on how it was trained and it's being trained off of this really high quality healthcare data so if you compare us to like google or one of the other competitors out there they're using either ehr data which is 
finished product data. It's not raw data like an audio recording, or they're using non-healthcare data. And we're using very specific recorded doctor-patient interactions where we have consent from all parties to do this. And it's the same way that the end product is being produced with the ambient device in the room listening, recording doctor-patient, several different people. And because it's gone through that step of raw data into finished note, the machine has heard over and over about Aunt Sally's diabetes and has learned, I ignore that. I only care about the diabetes for this patient. Now, the way we work today is we have a quality review. We call it an AI learning loop where it listens to the doctor patient. You have a machine learning draft that comes out and then it goes through this AI learning loop, which is a highly trained person trained on the standard for this specialty to read through that note really quickly. If there's any problems, they'll listen to small sections of the recording to make sure the note is accurate and then they'll correct it. And so we do that thousands of times a day teaching the AI smarter and smarter so that in case 3,000 charts ago it put Aunt Sally's diabetes in there, now it's ignoring Aunt Sally's diabetes because we trained it. So that's kind of how that all works. That makes sense. Great. I mean, that's really helpful. I, I use Dragon Medical One. I love it. It is such a phenomenal product and it's really accurate. Are we getting that same level of accuracy? It's got to be harder because you're not right on the microphone, perhaps. There's more background noise. How's it doing? The accuracy is is really surprising how accurate it is. And, and then the interesting thing is if you go for pure transcript accuracy, it's not going to be as high as a close speech microphone. So if you're talking mm -hmm. to your dictaphone or your Dragon Medical mobile app, it's going to be higher. But if you have minutes and minutes of recorded time plus transcript, then the machine is able to use multivariables to solve the problem of what should this note look like. It's also able to pull things from the EHR. So there's actually more data sources than just your voice dictating. And so the problem is a little bit different to solve. But what you really care about is that finished note, that last product note. And accuracy continues to go up. And honestly, I don't want to say we're further ahead than we thought we would, but we're very happy with where we're at today on that accuracy. What specialties is it available for lots of specialties or are we still in some narrow use cases? Yeah, so right now we're generally available, ready to scale up in orthopedics, ophthalmology, ENT, dermatology, podiatry. And we are growing and I would say we're able to bring on customers, but maybe not all of your customers. If somebody comes to us tomorrow and says, I have 300 cardiologists I want you to do today, we're not going to be able to do it, but we can start with their cardiologists. So cardiology, neurology, GI, OB-GYN, and really any ambulatory specialty right now, anything that you're seeing in the clinic besides primary care. Although that is a rapidly evolving subject for us with COVID-19, where we're seeing specialty volumes drop and primary care volumes raise. We're moving quickly to move into primary care, urgent care, and other locations where we believe volume and where the health system is really going to need the help. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you have an emergency room background. I, I know you want it there, right? Uh, how, is that is that on the horizon? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole impetus for me starting this journey. <laughs> I was running this emergency department. I was frustrated that I couldn't get my physicians as productive as I wanted them to be. I believed that there was technology someday that would make this all better, and I wanted to be part of the solution. So absolutely, I want it in the ER. I want it all over the hospital. I want hospitalists. I want nurses. I want MAs. I want everybody to be able to use this device on the wall that's listening, that comes on. We have so many great technologies at Nuance, like being able to identify people by their voice, use their voices, their password to actually log them into the EHR, sign orders with biometrics, all these things. Of course, we have to figure out how we make sure the doctor verifies everything's correct, how we make sure the nurse verifies all the safety checks that you would normally have. But I believe that with this ambient listening device, it opens this whole broad avenue of how to make healthcare more functional and efficient. Is it for use on the wards on the floor or the ICU right now, or is it it's just ambulatory? I want to make sure I understand. It's just ambulatory. So okay. it's on our roadmap for next year for uh, 2021 to be moving into uh, the hospital. Now, that's a big, it's a big, hairy problem. And I don't know that we can move with the same speed that we've moved in the ambulatory space. But yeah, I'm excited to get in there and start solving that problem. So let me toss this one over to Robert. Talk to me about privacy, because that's going to be everyone's concern. I'm picturing a microphone on the wall that's listening all the time. What's been the feedback that you've gotten around this? I'm sure this has come up before. So for sure, this is something that I've dealt with through my whole career. I remember HIPAA didn't even come around until the 90s, and we were always very cautious, but We've swung the pendulum to ultra caution, right? So in a technology like this now, you do have to ask for permission and we've found very high rates. Jared for sure could tell you what that number is, but it's about 90% or more. So when you explain to people, I'm gonna record the conversation, the computer's gonna automatically generate the note. It's going to help us uh, spend more time together and delve into your problem and so on. It's good. And then if you go beyond to the technologies like being on Microsoft Azure in the cloud and having all of the high trust elements in it to be secure, uh, people do feel better about it. And it's interesting, again, with COVID-19 is the government has dialed back a lot of the restrictions because we've seen telehealth explode in the last few weeks where now you can even use non-HIPAA encrypted methodologies because it's more important to reach out to the patients. And if you talk to a lot of senior citizens, they are willing to trade off some privacy and security concerns to get their health care taken care of. I think you're right. I think you're spot on in that. If I was as a primary care doctor and I'm talking to my patient at the beginning of a visit and say, hey, I want to be able to look you in the eye and have a face-to-face conversation. Do you mind if the speaker on the wall here is going to listen in? I can't believe that I wouldn't get 100% acceptance on that. Is that what you guys feel is, is what's going on? 
that's exactly the conversation that our providers have. And it's Rob was pretty much spot on. It's about 90% acceptance rate that we're getting just across the board right now. Some specialties a little bit higher, some a little bit lower. You can imagine that in women's health, there's some really uh, sensitive subjects that sometimes they're not going to want to have recorded, but generally across the board, really high consent rates. As you're thinking about the hospital, this thing sitting on the wall in the hospital room, is it listening all the time and families are talking and stuff? Or, I mean, is that to someone's advantage that you'll also be able to hook this up to, hey, I, I need to go to the bathroom and it lets my nurse know kind of functionality. So what's the vision maybe you could share with me? Is this just for transcription or does it have bigger uses as you're listening to conversations? Yeah, I think you hit on an interesting thing, and it really depends on the health system. Our vision is that it becomes an integral part to the healthcare setting and can be used for calling the nurse, watching for falling risks, alerting a nurse, hey, somebody's climbing out of bed, all sorts of things like that. Now, some health systems and some patients might not give consent for those things. And so I think it's kind of a health system by health system decision, but the capabilities that we're going to build in are all those types of capabilities. Cool. Talk to me a little bit about return on investment because CFOs have a lot to do with what we get and don't get in terms of our tools. Does this also assist me with documenting to a higher level that's appropriate? Like, am I going to capture more things that I'm actually doing but not recording today because I just don't feel like typing? Do you see accurate, better coding happening? Yeah, so a couple of interesting points. We've had some healthcare systems start with us, continue to have their physicians document while we document and then compare the quality of documentation of the physicians versus how we do. And in all cases, they've found that our documentation is by their compliance office and by their billing and coding, that ours is higher quality. Now. That being said, there's also the case to be made that we really just want to make sure it's accurate. And I believe that when you make it accurate, you do have that ROI. There, and then, of course, HCC guidance built in and all the nuanced tools that we have, including what Rob really supports in CAPD, being able to build that kind of technology into the documentation that we do on the back end and then presenting that to the clinician. And really, this part of the product up till now, our focus has generally been on, can we solve the problem of documentation? So this start of, part of the product is really just in its infancy as far as adding value through computer aid in the physician documentation. But for the ROI, it's not difficult as long as you have a CFO who believes that physician's time is valuable. If a physician is seeing 25 patients in a day and spending only three minutes in documentation, 
which would be extremely fast, then we're going to save them 75 minutes a day on documentation. And you probably saw that Annals of Internal Medicine report that recently came out that said that burnout's costing $4.6 billion. So, I mean, there's real dollars that is attached to the burnout problem. And we've seen over and over again when clinicians start using this and they start saying, I'm looking at my patient, I'm building relationships with my patients again, I don't have the computer sitting in between me. Like, I want, I want to keep practicing for years and years. I was going to retire, but I want to keep practicing. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of good ROI stories and more to come as we start building in kind of that computer-aided physician documentation. Robert, tell me about the naturalness of the use. So if I do my physical exam, do I have to say each and every piece of my physical exam as I'm doing a head to toe assessment? Or can I just say, do my normal physical exam? And oh, by the way, this is abnormal when I looked at the knee. So there's a little bit of a variability there depending on provider preference. But typically what I've seen is that as the physician is doing the examination and speaking it out, either in layman's terms or in scientific terms, and Jared can speak to this as well, is the computer interprets that and completes it. So if I say, it looks like your elbow hurts you on the outside here, and it gets determined by the computer, the machine learning, the AI is that's the lateral portion, the lateral epicondyle of the elbow, right? But again, there are ways to do it so it can say, insert my normal physical exam, except for this examination of the foot, for example. But there's different ways to accomplish that task. I think the big thing really though, and Jared said this as well, is how do I get through that documentation in my natural sort of presentation in front of the patient, which saves me time because it's getting documented as I'm doing my work, rather than having to see the patient, turn my back, go to the laptop or the desktop computer and fill in all that information or click the boxes. And with a variety of these tools, not just ACI, but some of the other uh, voice assistant type of technologies is the amount of time saving and hearing the physician say, I get home on time and all my charts are closed is very powerful statements from the users. Talk to me about usage. This isn't just vaporware. This is live, right? People are using this today. You're not just teasing me now, right? No, this is out there in the <laughs> wilderness. It's live probably, let's see, before this week, I would say 100,000 patients per uh, month would be seen using this technology. That's dropped a little bit with uh, COVID-19, but that's probably what the number I would quote is about 100,000 patients a month right now. And I mean, I really, as we continue to push automation and make this more and more available, I think it's going to grow like crazy. We have obviously conversations with tons of health systems who are currently digging in with us, vetting us, and getting ready to sign up. So yeah, it's exciting. I can imagine. This is what doctors are looking for. Absolutely. I've worked with uh, work making clinicians more efficient for a long, long time. And they want that natural conversation back in the exam room. That's what they're itching for. And they've been doing it with scribes 
or virtual scribes, but this sounds like it's really going to be the answer they've been looking for to me. So I'm excited. I think this sounds fantastic. The differential diagnosis is hard to capture as you, a doctor doesn't always think out loud. How does it get into someone's head to, to, okay, this patient may have CHF or could be pneumonia and I'm thinking about all those things. How does the computer assist me with perhaps my differential or is it strictly going to take what I say and put it into the note and that's all you get? How does it do that? Yeah, so right now, so you're now you're thinking like four or five years out for me, but right now you have to say it, right? Like we can't infer anything, guess anything, can't get into the head. So you have to say it, whether that's in with the patient or we have a companion app for iPhone. So you can do it right when you leave the room. So you have to say it at some point. And then as you can imagine, the sooner we have the diagnosis, and this is work that we'll do with healthcare systems. The sooner you have the diagnosis, the sooner you can implement care plans around the diagnosis and intelligence and reminders. And if you're seeing somebody for low back pain and you want to, and you mentioned that you want to get a lumbar spine MRI, then we can kick off a care pathway that says, hey, remember to mention that you've done six weeks of conservative treatment and you've tried NSAIDs and you've done this and that to make sure that the insurance will pay for this MRI. So there is intelligence that we can build in um, that we believe is going to be pretty powerful, but that's not what we're doing today, really focused right now on just solving that documentation problem. I'd like to add something to that, too, is not only that discussion of differential diagnosis, but we have solutions that use natural language processing to read through a single note or multiple notes, depending on if it's a hospital encounter. And it has the ability to extract evidence from those notes and say, hey, you missed uh, a diagnosis of potentially thoracic aneurysm, for example, or that back pain may not just be back pain. So by drawing on the evidence, and that can be looking at things in the notes, possibly radiology reports, laboratory findings, and so on to say, There may be another existing diagnosis that you didn't consider. Is this valid or not? And then it hands it off to the physician to apply their critical thinking skills to decide if that diagnosis is valid or not as well. So we have the ability across numerous of our AI tools to do things like that to help create what Jared is doing, which is create a really complete full note that hopefully doesn't miss anything or identifies potential risk. Using Epic today, I can say, hey, Epic, show me my schedule, and it would bring up my schedule. Is this tool also used for navigation? Does it compete with Epic, or is it complementary? What's the, how's the fit there? Yeah, so Epic is our partner, and if you're using Hey Epic, the back end of that is our technology. Virtual assistant within Epic is Nuance virtual assistant. And ambient clinical intelligence does include uh, a virtual assistant piece as well. So Dragon Medical virtual assistant, which is going to be coming out into hyperspace uh, later this year with more and more capabilities is also something that 
you're going to be able to access from the ambient device on your wall. So if you want to order a medication for that patient, putting it in an appended state while you're seeing that patient, you can just say, hey, Epic, order amoxicillin 500 milligrams TID times seven days, and it'll be pended for you and ready. So those types of capabilities are done by the virtual assistant and part of kind of this platform, Ambient Clinical Intelligence. Fantastic. I want to wrap this up so I can get you guys out on time. Uh, I want each of you, though, if you would, and Robert, let's start with you. You've got a ton of CMIO experience, so I want you to give all my CMIOs out there a little bit of advice around being a CMIO, and then, oh, by the way, you can throw in anything you want to tell us about ambient uh, AI at the same time. So take it away. So that's a great question and a, a wide open one, kind of uh, subject to my opinion. Where I've been successful in my CMIO career is, number one, listening intently. Number two, spending a lot of time out in the hallways and in the office practices and in the surgery suites and so on, and as well with executives in the boardroom and going to meetings as we normally do, but really establishing a lot of rapport, taking good notes, identifying problem spots, hot spots, and opportunities, and delivering solutions to fix things. That tends to be a lot of what we do, but also being a very good steward of resources and being able to balance risks and know when to take opportunities. I cannot tell you the number of times I've said, I'm willing to stick my neck out and make the decision on this. And if it doesn't go well, you can blame it on me. But those were always carefully uh, assessed situations of risk to deliver innovative solutions. And most of the time they were successful. But listen too to the feedback, because if you don't quite hit on target, you can hone in on that. I also spent a lot of time developing governance to pull in all the right leadership. I worked at one system that was over 30 hospitals, another system that ended up being 11 hospitals, is to draw on the right physician leadership, two or three people that had a, a sway vote, whether they were a CMO or a director of surgery or an ED director or whatever that would go back to their institution and say, these are the decisions we made centrally. And you know what? It works whether it's a, a small hospital or a large hospital or a multi-state system. And that good governance is so important. So those are some of the main things that are important, I think, as a CMIL. Love it. Jared, how about your words of wisdom? You've also got CMIO experience here as well, some entrepreneurial experience. Tell us what you would recommend for CMIOs. Yeah, and I would recommend to anyone who wants to be involved in kind of the change we want to see within medicine, especially with technology, the CMIO role is key to that. And also being willing to, physicians have great ideas. If you talk to physicians across the board, all of 
physicians are very creative problem solvers. Their willingness to kind of leave their comfort zone and go try something new and hard isn't always there. And so that's what I would challenge people to do is take those great ideas, take some action, whatever it is. I believe that as clinicians, we have to lead this change or else it will be led by somebody else and we're not going to like the output. And we really want to be involved. So that's my, that's my call to action. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, both of you. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. This has been phenomenal information. I really, really appreciate it. If people wanted to get in touch with you guys, LinkedIn, uh, through Nuance, what do you suggest? Yeah, so for me, LinkedIn is great. Jared Pello or Nuance, jared.pello at nuance.com. And I would follow the same paradigm. Robert Budman on LinkedIn I'm also robert.budman at nuance.com, and I have a Twitter feed. It's not super busy or popular, but I'm there. It's uh, surfcmil, S-U-R-F-C-M-I-L, on Twitter. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode. (music) 